Welcome to The Watchmen. The Watchmen episode with eights and nines, and in that order is on. This week we point Bruce Rauner to the next debate. St. Louis Broadcaster Blues. NBC was going to pay Jon Stewart how much? And Jason Matera's big week. The lamp's been lit, and when I introduce you this week, with the NHL back for the 2014-2015 season, what was your first hockey memory? Going to the game, Miracle on Ice, something else? Bob Goff, QuincyJournal.com. The barn, late 70s. The trough. Yes, the smelly urinals, yes. John Seacrease, morning meeting. The old barn in St. Louis. Uh, it was raining that night, and the roof, of course, leaked, and so we were in our uh, seats in the second deck uh, getting rained on during the hockey match. Brian Nichols, morning meeting. Watching a couple of teams in an amateur league beat the crap out of each other in Coralville, Iowa. Very good. First hockey memory, other than the barn and the troughs, kid who used to babysit me when I was like five, made me my own hockey stick so that he could put the goalie gear on in the basement, and I would spend an evening slinging wristers and slap shots at him until my arms got tired. Game on! Governor Pat Quinn and Bruce Rauner had debate number one Thursday night in Peoria. Nothing huge occurred. Rauner got some shots in. Quinn looks like he needs a massage. What does Bruce Rauner need to do in front of next week's debate number two, Brian? He needs to learn some things. I. It's not that he doesn't know him, but if he does, he seems unwilling to share. It appeared to me that there were several questions, which I, I don't know if it was evident to other people, but it just really came across as obvious that he didn't have an answer, didn't understand the question, or, or know what they were talking about. Specifically, when it came to the pension ramp, maybe when it came to the uh, carbon emissions question. You know, I mean, some of the time it appeared that he didn't know the answer. Other times it, was, it appeared that he was at least attempting to masterfully evade the question. Sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't. But I still think that he has to come back with some more concrete answers, and there's a few questions in there that he specifically has to deal with. Uh, pensions, school funding, specifically, tax increases or decreases, or how, tax policy, essentially, because there's certain things that even to uh, an average person don't make sense. How can you take money out but add money in at the same time? And I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying uh, if you don't have a plan that you can tell me about, I'm skeptical. That being said, I think there's probably average voters out there who aren't paying any attention to that at all. What do you think the wonk rating is for people who are watching these debates? If it's one on a scale of one to ten, then he's doing just fine, and he might even need to walk some of his answers back a little bit. If it's a ten out of ten, and all the wonks are hanging on every word, well, then he needs a lot more detail if he wants to go forward and win people over. But I think he wants people who are in that generally busy, I'd like to be involved, but I don't have time to research everything. So when you're talking about the pension ramp issue, that's not even on their top ten things that they're looking for an answer to when they're deciding who they're going to vote for. I think he needs to get a suit that fits, which shouldn't be a problem for a guy who's worth several billion dollars. If you want to be the CEO of my state, please don't dress off the rack from Kmart when you're applying for the job. Number two, he needs to be a little bit more detailed with his proposed tax policy. 
policy. He says we need to overhaul the tax base, but we're going to make a broader base rather than a narrow vertical base. I understand that, but my wonk factor is probably a six and a half. So more detail on just what your tax policy is going to entail and how you're going to get it put into place. I liked his answer on energy. I liked his answer on the minimum wage. Just tighten up a couple areas, and I think you'll be fine. I'm going to flip it for you, Bob. What do you think Pat Quinn has to work on for the next debate? Pat's got a little grumpy old man thing going no. right now, and I, I, I don't know if that's what he's trying to do, that he's angered because of everything that's going on. Well, man, you've been the governor for six years. If you want to get angry about something, maybe you ought to look in the mirror. Uh, you want to complain about the minimum wage, that's all well and good. You've had a Democratic legislature that entire time. If you wanted the damn minimum wage raised, why didn't you raise it? We know why you didn't raise it, because it would have cost your butt some votes. That being said, I think he needs to, you know, a little decaf maybe. That might be the thing that would help uh, the governor out. You know, uh, Brian and I and uh, and Sean and I were uh, kind of texting back and forth about this the other night, and Brian said thought he was going to have a coronary, and I said, well, he's, he got a Macomb bypass on Friday. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, I think he's going to relax a little bit, and he's going to spend the next month going around handing out Easter eggs and Christmas cards because that's uh, that's what he does. Uh, I do want to just go into one thing that Sean brought up about uh, Rounder's wardrobe, the whole frumpy suit, $18 watch, Carhartt. That's the whole image thing he's trying to do. He's not going to come out in Brooks Brothers or Savile Row because that's the image he's trying to downplay. Next topic. St. Louis broadcasters for years now have been going out of their way to prove to a national audience that they aren't biased towards the teams and city where they were raised and learned their trade. In school, we were taught to be impartial during a broadcast, especially to a, to a national audience. But St. Louis-originated broadcasters, and I'm going to name Joe Buck, Bob Costas is the most prominent right now, have for years bent over backwards to prove to the rest of the country that they don't love their hometown team more than others. Even though sports fans across the country aren't going to buy those attempts anyway. Is this just another part of the approved cardinal hate out there, or... Are Cardinal fans just hypersensitive about the hometown boys, Sean? I think it's a little bit of each. Cardinal fans have a little bit of a little brother syndrome, which is ridiculous when you consider that that franchise is the crown jewel of the National League, and there is no doubt about that. And there's no reason to have a little brother complex about it. That being said, St. Louis is also America's biggest small town. They are provincial. They think in a small town manner. The number one question you hear when you go down there is, Where'd you go to high school? So that tells me they're very provincial and very small town. They want to be loved by the people that they love. They love the legacy of the Buck family, and they want Joe Buck to show them some love on the air. They love how Bob Costas got his start with the Spirits, really right out of school, before he even knew how to park a car. This guy was on the air with a major franchise. They want him to show them some love because they took an opportunity to give him a chance. Costas does give them some love by coming back and doing some things with X to appease people, but now you're really in kind of the sports nerdery area. When it's on the big stage for everybody, comes down to it, Cardinal fans just want to feel a little love because they are berated by the self-image that they have created that's become a mockery of the best fans in baseball. Well, I think when you look at Joe Buck, go go back to 2011 uh, when he did, uh, and we'll see you tomorrow night. I mean, obviously he was playing right into his roots. 
playing right into his dad's legacy, which is the legacy of Cardinal baseball. His dad had that national stage for a short time. Uh, don't forget Tim McCarver, of course, was a longtime Cardinals catcher and lived in St. Louis and then went on and was doing national uh, analysis for baseball for, for several decades. Um, Cardinal fans should just be happy, and they're not, that their teams are there in October so they can just watch them in October, practically every October uh, since 1996 for the most part, when Larusa became the manager. And okay, so Joe Buck's not uh, saying slam a lama ding dong and uh, being more excited when your guys hit homers and acts like he's a little more excited when Clayton Kershaw does something or doesn't do something as he did this last week. Yeah. Just in, enjoy the moment, and you know it, you can always turn them down and not listen or pick up the radio or do something. I guess. Joe Buck, though, has a history of doing this, and, and I, I will point to every time he and Troy Aikman do a Dallas Cowboys game. They're just merciless to the Cowboys, and sometimes rightfully so, but, I mean, it's like they overcompensate because Troy played for the Cowboys, and they don't want to look on national TV like they're favoring Troy's team. I mean, I'm more concerned that they stop looking dreamily at one another while they're doing the games. But seriously, it's it's mildly obnoxious when they're calling games that they're somehow connected to, whether it be loosely or otherwise. If you want to have a chance to maybe get away from some of that St. Louis-based controversy, uh, in my mind, the best baseball broadcaster working today full-time, Vin Scully's working part-time. Dan Schulman is out of Toronto, and he's doing the games on ESPN Radio. For my money, best baseball basketball broadcaster on the air today. All right, three whistles means it's halftime on Watchman 89. After some sponsor love, we'll get deeper into media, big network media, and new media bloggers. Remember F10 to say. They're tough. They're mean. They're nasty. But they're friends of mine. The Watchmen. Boys and girls, it's time again, 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 again. Excellent, excellent. You girls and boys will have lots of fun. The Watchmen. They're great, yes. Here we are. And you are. Coincidence? We found out this week that NBC offered Jon Stewart whatever he wanted to host Meet the Press. Stewart smartly turned it down and... Chuck Todd signed on to take over for David Gregory. The NBC News magazine has seen its ratings plummet straight to the bottom. Stewart would have helped as far as ratings go, but would have had to play his game by different rules. So what does NBC's desire for Stewart say about the network and on a larger level about network news, Bob? Well, NBC News and its cable channel, MSNBC, are dead last in the ratings these days. I mean, you've got to remember back when Tim Russert was alive and Brokaw had nightly news and the Today Show was Katie and Matt and the whole bunch. I mean, NBC was rocking and rolling. They are now dead last in pretty much every news segment that there is, whether it's the Sunday shows. Today has slipped a ton. Uh, Brian Williams has dropped off. I mean, you look at, uh, at what has happened there at NBC. I don't think it's a coincidence that the MSNBC hard left agenda is killing this network across the board. Um, I don't know how long uh, Chuck Todd's going to hold on to the gig, and I don't know what they're going to try after this, but uh, the fact that they even reached out to Stewart is absolutely huge. Stewart would fall right in line with their 
thoughts philosophically and politically. I, I still enjoy The Daily Show. I think it's hilarious, even though I don't agree with a lot of the stuff. Some of the stuff he does is just really clever and smart. I think NBC is looking, and they see in the form of John Stewart and what he does on The Daily Show, they see smartly written, they see sharply delivered, they see well-organized, and they see a show that makes an impression and that is viewing that people either set their watches to see or, in this day and age, maybe the king of all things, they DVR. If you want to be a DVRable show, you need something that's sharp, well-written, and well-presented. I hope that the powers that be at NBC realize that you're not getting an entire writing team and an entire pre-scripted show. For those of you who think that it's just a free-flowing show, it's the furthest thing from it. It's scripted out with bits from the get-go, even more so than something that is uh, famously improved on some levels, like an SNL. So by looking for Stuart, I think you're looking to bring the sharpness, the incisiveness, and the clarity of what you're seeing on, let's be honest, most cable networks, most premium networks, things that aren't the big three, and trying to leverage some of that onto one of the dying dinosaurs. Look, what I would say, though, is with Jon Stewart, you're looking for a different audience. Or, or a, not a different audience necessarily, but a new audience, uh, a new segment. And, and a, you know, eventually, you're going to have to find new people that are going to be a part of the program or, or are going to consume your program because everybody passes away and it's just a fact of life. And so that means that as your audience ages, you have to figure out new ways to get a younger audience. And the way to get a younger audience changes over time. And so bringing in Jon Stewart, while he may be different, and while, yes, he's very much scripted on The Daily Show, maybe that's where it's going I, I, in that instance. I don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of young people that would follow him over there. I mean, he's a comedian and an actor, so you would think he would be prepared to play the part of unbiased anchor, and he may come across more so than the anchors that we have today. That may be the only way to get unbiased news anchors. You think you're going to get that generation to wake up at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning to watch Meet the Press? No, you're going to have to put... I think not. No, you're right. You're right. It would be Meet the Press at 8.30 at night. Or you could go for the ultimate in synergy since this is NBC and have Law & Order MTP. Next topic. It was a big week for Jason Matera. First, he tracks down Lois Lerner walking her dog, follows her to a neighbor's house, who wouldn't let her in, by the way. Asked her how she liked being targeted. Then Bob Beckel from Fox News' The Five challenged Matera to a fight for following Lerner, which apparently Matera accepted. Then Matera released a video where he got roughed up by Harry Reid's bodyguard for asking the Senate Majority Leader how he got so wealthy on a government salary for most of his career. Reid's muscle wanted to know if Matera was press. Matera obviously not traditional press, but does that even really matter? I mean, especially when it comes to public servants, Bob? It shouldn't matter, but uh, we get a lot of this from our friend Dick Durbin, who, of course, has been trying to pass legislation to say who is and isn't a journalist. It's not a surprise that uh, Matera gets this kind of treatment. Uh, he's uh, got a little uh, James O'Keefe uh, about him and uh, the way he's kind of going about some of these things. And, and he's trying to grab some attention, which is fine, because when you try to create a brand, that's what you're trying to do, because you want to bring eyeballs to your medium, and then you want people to you know, pay for advertising or pay for the access. So, I mean, he's just doing what a lot of, uh, a lot of people have done uh, here over the last few years to try to figure out your niche and uh, try to uh, you know, make a name for yourself in today's media culture. Traditional press is not traditional press. I mean, we people get their news and information from several different platforms. 
you know, again, as we just talked about, it, it ain't the big three anymore. It's about the big 53. Well, and Jason Patera has a new book out. It's called Crapitalism. And every time he comes out with a new book, he does these videos. He goes out and, and, and makes a name for himself. I mean, with the ambush video type thing. One might even call it guerrilla marketing. You could call it that, yes. And so I, I get what he's doing. I, I also understand the criticisms. Uh, I mean, these videos are funny, and some, sometimes nothing actually happens in them. I think the reason that you have some of these guys like Bob Beckel criticizing him, uh, Beckel obviously went too far, but why they criticize him and, and why some of these uh, press aides or whatever say you're not real real press or real media is because he's not calling the office and scheduling an interview and sitting down and doing the interview. He's just showing up and doing his own thing. Well, candidly, no one should be required to consent to that. I mean, you know, if you say, I'll do the interview, and you sit down and do it, that's one thing. It'd be different if they did that, and then he got this big bombshell out of him. But if he just shows up off the street with a camera and follows him up to a house, yes, I could see where they could label it as such. I still like it. I just, I guess I see both sides of it. I think the question that we're debating right now is the age-old question of who watches the watchers? Who keeps their eye on those in power? And the answer has to be the citizenry. Everyone that's elected is beholden to the citizenry. And in this day and age, with high-definition cameras and microphones worked into everyone's smartphone, everyone can be a citizen journalist. So the only reason that you would want to, in the case of Dick Durbin or Harry Reid or Barack Obama, the only reason you would want to have an approved media or press is so that you can start government censorship. Now, if you're not the approved conduit through which they will transmit their thoughts and, and, and what they're trying to achieve to the populace, now you're outside the loop. That's the first step in censorship. You have to approve who is able to carry the message for the regime that's in power. And I see this as no more than rampant censorship from our elected officials. However... Just a slight difference between what he's doing and what citizen journals are doing. Because if you show up at a town hall with a camera or, or you show up with your elected official and you take a video of them saying something or you ask them a question and they answer it, you're right. That is citizen journalism and there there is nothing wrong with that. But if you're the guy who's doing the thing and that's part of like your book tour or whatever... I think it's I think there's a difference there. You're not really trying to achieve anything other than to build up what you're doing. Again, I don't have a problem with Matera and I don't have a problem with what he's doing. I enjoy it. It's entertaining, but I think what he's doing is more for entertainment value than what citizen journalists are doing. And ultimately, I think that's where it gets dangerous because then you end up lessening the effects that citizen journalists can have on the whole process. And I'm going to buttress what Brian is saying because the example I'm going to give you for what he's arguing, I would say arguing for, but you trying to, trying to, is Adam Sharp. Exactly. Because Adam Sharp does some really good things and sometimes it can get a little near Jason Matera territory, but it usually gets good stuff done. And and does it with a purpose and accomplishes something, and there's actually something that comes out of it. It's not so Adam Sharp can sell a book. 
All right, last licks, an opportunity to chime in on a topic that we haven't gotten to on the 89th episode of The Watchmen. We'll put 30 seconds on the clock and uh, see if you can keep it under those numbers. I'm going to start this week. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. You can't say bomb at an airport. And now you can't make a joke about having Ebola if you're coughing on a plane. Guy from Philadelphia flying to the Dominican Republic, coughing on a flight, and in the current climate, noticed eyes falling on him and announced loudly to everybody, in the cabin, I have Ebola! His sense of humor, not infectious. And upon landing in the Dominican Republic, a hazmat team boarded the plane and took him off. Took a few hours for them to determine that he, in fact, did not have Ebola. Oh, and they sent him back to Philly. Vacation aborted. Remember, Ebola joke's not funny. Yet, you trendsetters. Bob! A lot of discussion about the teacher's salaries on Quincy Journal this past week. Someone referred to Quincy's teacher's salaries as opulent. Look, there's been a lot of discussion about this, and teachers have a pretty good gig, and the pension's nice, but I don't think that's why they signed up for it. That being said, my wife's been teaching for 24 years and makes $45,000 a year. Opulent my ass. If you hate teachers so much and you want to be a teacher, go back to school and get your damn degree. It's absolutely ridiculous. These teachers put out a lot. They take a lot of their own time. Yeah, they get a couple months off in the summer. They spend a lot of monies on supplies. They take care of these kids. They care about these kids. And yes, administrators make a pretty darn good wage, and teachers don't make a bad wage either. But stop acting like there's some kind of royalty in this community. They make an average salary here, and it's just ridiculous some of the chatter that's going on right now. Sean. We've got confirmation that going forward, beginning next year, the two principal Quincy schools, QND and QHS, will meet on the football field. And it is going to be an opportunity, not just for great play, but an opportunity to be more than just a game. I look at the match that was earlier this week between QND and QHS. They used that night as a fundraiser for Ronald McDonald House of Springfield and St. Louis, coming together to build something bigger than their own two small communities. I think if we look at athletics as a way to come together, especially now that we'll be coming together in more contentious ways than ever, if you believe some of the old bloodlines across the Gem City, there's an opportunity for it to be more than just a game. Brian! Having been a veteran of the restaurant industry myself, I experienced something this week that is the of the utmost frustration. When dining at a restaurant and sitting at uh, a table, if you are, as an owner or, or your employees, which is probably more so the case, come over and prepare to sweep under my feet, you bring over your handheld vacuum to, to vacuum while I'm there, and this is at 12.30 in the afternoon, lunchtime, we're going to have some major issues. I will break. That vacuum. You will you will go buy another thirty cent vacuum. So keep that in mind. That is the poorest restaurant service etiquette out there today. That is episode eighty nine of the Watchmen. Tune in next Saturday when Bob shares the most ironic thing about former White House aide Jonathan Doc and the prostitution ring cover up is his code name was Monica. Yes. Very nice. Nice. Nice.